Well, we are going to be in Exodus chapter 30, um, but let's go ahead and just pray one more time. Father, we love your word and we're so thankful for everything that's in it. This this ancient text is as much meant for us today as it was when it was delivered to the people of Israel and help us to understand it today in light of what you've revealed in the New Testament for us. Help us to understand how these principles that you gave to Israel then apply to our lives now. In Christ's name, amen. So I want to start off by asking something and you may seem, it may be strange, but what is your favorite smell? Fresh beaches. All right, fresh beaches. Basil. Hmm? Fresh basil. Oh, basil. Bacon. Oh, bacon. That's that's a good. <laughs> yeah, there is bacon. <laughs> there is bacon. A bacon tops. Flowers. Gardenias. Mm, yeah. Anastasia. Lilac. Lilac. Yeah. Brandon, you got a favorite smell? Uh, old bacon. Okay. All right. See. Mm, mm. <laughs> See, there's there's lots of stuff like. I, for for me, they bring back fond memories of like being out in the woods, cutting down trees with my father. The smell of of a fresh cut tree, not not pine, but really, I mean, we cut these trees down for to burn in in a fireplace in the wintertime. But just, I mean, the the wood chips and that that crisp smell. But yes, a pine Christmas trees. Uh, Thanksgiving turkey roasting in the oven. Yes, yes. Uh, I think of, you know, we big meadows out behind my parents' house and the, the smell of that after a heavy rain. Just, you know, uh, wonderful things. And, uh, the perfume that Wendy was wearing when we were dating. Yes, the perfume that Wendy was wearing when we were dating. And there was some, I was trying to find it this morning, there was some bush that my mother still has, and and I think it's Sweet Betsy. I don't know if y'all are familiar with with Sweet Betsy, Uh, but it's this little bud that has this wonderful fragrant smell in the springtime. And, And each one of these immediately calls, probably to you, some special memory. Uh, a significant personal experience. You know, the sense of smell just adds to the spice of life. And if there was one smell that Israel's priests could never forget, it was the smell of burning incense. You see, their service in the tabernacle was a complete sensory experience. There were things to touch, like the fine linen fabric, the cool water, the hairy skins of the sacrificial animals. There were beautiful things to see. You had the golden furniture. That the remember all the colorful patterns on the on the curtains, uh, the bread, the the meat. Uh, there to things to taste. 
But there were things to smell as well. Now, outside in the courtyard, they would have sniffed the burning sacrifices. Inside the holy place, they would smell something much more fragrant. The pungent, sweet scent, the spicy incense that was rising from the golden altar. And as I've been doing, we're continuing our way through Exodus in Exodus 30. And to kind of recap, at the end of chapter 29, we reach the climax in the description of the plans for the tabernacle. God had declared that he was coming to dwell among the people of Israel. God had brought them out of Egypt so that he could come and dwell with them. This is the heart of God. He saves us so that he might dwell with us. And Christians have this, have, have this experience in a more powerful, more meaningful way than the people of Israel could have ever dreamed of. When we respond to the call of the gospel in repentance and faith, when we are truly saved, God comes to dwell in us in the most personal way. He sends his Holy Spirit to indwell in us as living temples. I mean, you know, the people of Israel could never have imagined that. And this is something that is so much more precious that we can hold on to. But back to Israel and in Israel's history, this time was a profound moment in their history. They're, they're, when, when they were wandering in the wilderness, their expectation was this. They were going forward with the presence of God. God was going to dwell with them. God was going to come down and dwell with them after they had made the preparations he had commanded. And so, as if you remember, all the way through chapters 25 through 29, it was about God coming down to dwell. Now, here in chapter 30, it's interesting because in chapter 30, it's about something going up. God's coming down. There's something going up. Incense and prayer. And so here is what we find. Here's, here's where we find what God expects to be coming up as he's coming down to dwell. And this chapter, just real quick, is kind of can easily be broken up into five different sections. The first one uh, in the verses that we're going to look at today are the instructions for building the altar of incense. And then there's a section that talks about the ransom money, instructions for building the bronze laver, uh, instructions for recipe for the anointing oil. And the last section, instructions for the recipe of the incense that goes on the altar. Now notice one thing here, and, uh, as I get into the, the chapter later on, but what you see here is that the chapter begins with the building of the altar of incense and ends with the recipe for the incense. So it's kind of bookended with a focus on the incense, the altar of incense. And that's what we're going to focus on today and how I'm going to kind of lay it out to you and reveal it already, but how this symbolizes the place of prayer in the life of the worshiper. You know, there's, there's probably no practical privilege I think that's belonging to the believer that is, and I'm speaking in general here, that's probably no more privilege that belongs to the believer that is more neglected 
than prayer. But think about this. When, when God designed the tabernacle, the place of prayer, the place of this incense altar was prominent. Uh, Exodus 30 records the details of, of the altar, where it was placed. And I think it has a lot to teach us about where the place of prayer should be in our lives. The altar was the last piece of furniture that God put in the tabernacle. If you remember, you had the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the Holy of Holies section and separated by the veil. Then you had the table of showbread, the golden lampstand. Uh, you know, all of this that God has given instructions to Moses to build. But only then, after all of that, and then after ordaining the priests, after all that's done, only then did God give instructions for the altar of incense. And you might wonder, well, why did God not do it when he was given instructions for the other uh, items that went inside the tabernacle? You know, if you think about the order that, that it happened, God told Moses how the priests were to be ordained. He then began to describe their duties. And so the altar of incense was not mentioned until there was a priest who had been ordained to be able to burn incense on it and pray. So it kind of makes sense in the order of things. So how was this altar made? Now we're in Exodus, starting in Exodus 30, verse 1. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horn shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and around its sides and its horns. And you shall make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make two golden rings for it. Under its molding on two opposite sides of it you shall make them. And they shall be for holders of poles for which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. How many of you know how big a cubit is? Not very, not very big. A foot and a half, basically. So the altar of incense was not very big. It was square, foot and a half by foot and a half, and maybe three feet high. Uh, like the table of showbread, it was made of acacia wood covered in gold, and it had to be gold because it was in the royal chamber, the holy place where God was. Now, like the great bronze altar that stood outside in the courtyard, the altar of incense had horns on the top of the four corners. And like everything in the temple, it was designed to be portable. So it had the rings on the side so it could be lifted up with poles and carried wherever God would lead. And where was the altar located? Well, God told Moses, and you shall put it, the altar, in front of the veil that is above the Ark of the Testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony, where I will meet with you. So it's, it's kind of hard to envision this with words, but in the, in the tabernacle itself, you have the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant 
was. Then you had a veil that separated it from the holy place. And this uh, altar of incense would have been right up against the veil. As close to God as possible without going into the Holy of Holies. And so the, what this meant was that when the priests stood at the altar of incense, they were standing right in front of God, only separated by the veil. You see, with the exception of the high priest, who was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies once a year, this was the closest they could get to the presence of, holy, of a holy God. And what did the priest do there? Well, it says, and Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses or trims the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it or a burnt offering or a grain offering. And you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Very specific instructions there. So burning incense on the golden altar was a part of the priest's daily, daily routine. Every morning when they tended to the golden lampstand and trimmed the wicks and replenished the oil, they would burn a fragrant incense on the altar. They would repeat this at nightfall when the priest relit their lamps and made a fresh offering. They would make a fresh offering of incense. This was a perpetual act of the priestly worship, morning and evening, morning and evening, from generation to generation. And the priests were not free to use the altar in any way that they pleased. Like everything, everything else in the uh, tabernacle, the altar had specific instructions. Never to be used for a burnt offering or a grain offering or a drink offering, only for an incense offering. And the only incense that the priest could use was a special blend of spices that's described at the end of chapter 30, verses 34 through 38. And the Lord said to, to Moses, take sweet spices, stacta, ancha, and galbanum, the sweet spices with pure frankincense of each there, of each shall there be an equal part and make an incense blended as by a perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as a perfume shall be cut off from his people. Now, today, these exact spices cannot be precisely identified. And so we're actually not able to reproduce what this mixture would have been then. But this was an aromic incense to God, meant for God and for nobody else. Since it was holy to the Lord, it was not to be used for any other purpose in any other place. It was a holy incense burned before a holy God. And to see how holy it was, if you remember the story of uh, Nadab and Abihu, who were struck dead for their failure to follow God's instructions 
for the altar of incense. But the important part to ask is, what does the altar of incense symbolize? As the fragrance of the incense permeated the tabernacle, with the smoke rising to heaven, what was this to signify? Right, there's, there's, there's been debate going back and forth. Uh, some think it was a form of tribute, just like offering the animal sacrifice outside. This was an incense sacrifice, a pleasing aroma to God. Uh, some think that it was an, an air freshener, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to hide the stench of, uh, uh, the sacrifices that were going on right outside the tabernacle. Uh, somebody had said, think about it. It did, it did have one practical purpose. With all the slaughtering of sacrifices, the blood, the odor would have been overpowering without the incense. But these really aren't satisfactory. The incense may, may have made the tabernacle smell nice, but it was not meant to be just a overcome the smell of the sacrifice of the sacrificial animals. It had imagery. It was symbolic. <clears throat> Think about for for us. Based on the New Testament, Christ has given us symbolism. We have baptism. We have the Lord's Supper. These symbols for us point to a spiritual reality. And the same thing was true in the Old Testament with Israel and their worship. And they had a whole lot more symbols than we do. And their symbols always pointed to certain things. And so here, this incense was a concrete, symbolic expression of prayer and praise lifting up to God from his people. It was an external sign of an internal reality of the prayer and praise coming from the heart. It essentially stands for something pleasant rising to God. The prayer, the praise, the worship that rises to God should be like a sweet smelling aroma. I mean, think about our gathering here this morning. Gathering to sing to praise, to pray, to worship. This, God expects our worship to be a sweet-smelling aroma to Him. I mean, understand that our fellowship here, the the worship that we've already done this morning, the, the prayer time, the praise, that was like a sweet aroma going up to God. You know, the the... Think about when when the priests were doing this, when they were at the altar, uh, as I said, only separated by a thick curtain. So when the priest was offering incense on this golden altar, in in a way they were approaching the mercy seat of God. They were coming before the throne of grace, which is the place where God answers prayer. I mean, the the book of Leviticus describes the altar of incense as the altar that is before the Lord. As a place that's coming before God specifically for prayer. In the Psalms, this Psalm out of Psalm 141, 
David wrote this, O Lord, I call to you. Hurry to help me. Listen to my voice when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you as incense. The raising of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. You see, David was reflecting on these morning and evening sacrifices, on the incense offering. And David wanted his prayers to be like that daily offering, like the incense offering. And he was directly connecting the offering of incense and prayers and worship to going up to God. In other words, David was saying, let my prayers, let my worship be a sweet aroma to you, O God. There's another passage that connects incense and prayer out of the New Testament, out of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, It's about the priest, Zechariah, who was performing his priestly duties when he was visited by an angel. And now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So Zechariah was on duty in the temple. In the providence of God, it was his turn to burn incense at this golden altar. And as Zechariah prepared to make his offering, the crowd of people were preparing to pray outside. And this happened at the temple every day, morning and evening. So at the same time as the incense was offered in the holy place, people were meeting for prayer outside in the courtyard. And the priest was praying at that same time too. We know this because the angel appeared. When, he, when the angel appeared to Zechariah, the angel says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And so the people of Israel saw the rising incense to be symbolic. They understood the symbolism. They saw it to be symbolic of the prayers of the praise and the worship of God's people ascending up to God. The time for offering incense was a time for intercession. As the people prayed, as the priest prayed, the incense was going up and symbolized their prayers ascending to the throne of God. The book of Revelation uses the same symbolism. In in his vision of glory, the apostle John saw 24 elders who were worshiping God on his heavenly throne. And he saw what they were doing. Each was holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of saints. Wow, couldn't be any more clear than than that right there, could it? I mean, the Bible explains its own symbolism. Incense represents the prayers of God's people. And the same connection made a little bit later in Revelation. And John writes, And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense along with the prayers of the saints, rose before God from the hand of the angel. You see, the prayers of God's people are joined to the incense they offer. 
and both their incense and the prayers rise up to God. So these passages are all connecting the offering of incense with a life of prayer. They help us understand what the priests were doing at the golden altar, the altar of incense. Prayer was a very important part of their ministry. And this symbolic act of burning incense, it really points to the need in our own lives, the need to give God the kind of praise and worship that he deserves. Hebrews 13, 16 says this for us. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And listen to what follows that in, in uh, what follows that in verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So our sacrifices are both with our lips and with our lives. But before, gotta get back, I've gotta take a step back and go, but before any incense could be offered, something very important had to happen first. Atonement had to be made for sin. You see, the altar of incense, the sweet altar of prayer had to be consecrated with sacrificial blood. God said to Moses, Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. He shall make atonement for it once a year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Just to remind you that the sin offering, it was the blood sacrifice of an animal to atone for sin. And once a year on the day of atonement, this offering was made for all of God's people on that great bronze altar in the courtyard. And when the animal was sacrificed, its blood was carefully collected in a bowl and carried inside the tabernacle. Some of it was sprinkled on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, and some of it sprinkled on the altar of incense. And the book of Leviticus explains how this was done. It says, first, the high priest sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat, showing that all of Israel's sins were covered. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. Now think about this for a minute. What this is revealing or what this is showing is that, that not even our prayers are acceptable to God Unless our sins are forgiven. That's a little bit radical, I think. Before the altar could be used for prayer, it had to be consecrated with sacrificial blood. And this demonstrates the basis for access to God through prayer was based on the blood that made atonement for sin. The sacrifice that made it possible for Israel to use this sweet altar of incense, the sweet altar of prayer, was made once a year on the Day of Atonement. But that connection 
between prayer and sacrifice was really made in a more subtle way every day. You know, one of the curious things is that it was called an altar of incense. There was only one other altar, and that was the altar of sacrifice. They were both referred to as altars. You know, an altar is meant to be a place for making sacrifices. But there wasn't a sacrifice made on the altar of incense. It was only to burn incense. So why was it called still called an altar? Well, I think the answer in calling it an altar is that God was making the connection between what was happening outside in the courtyard on the bronze altar where they were sacrificing the animals for atonement and what happened on the little golden altar in the tabernacle. Both altars were square. Both had horns rising up on the on their corners. So they were similar in shape. They were used at roughly the same time each day. Something important was happening at at uh, uh, at the same time on both of them. Priests were out in the courtyard offering the sacrificial lamb. Priests were on the inside offering up the incense and offering up prayer to God. So you see that, that connection between the two altars. It served as a daily reminder that the life of prayer depends on having sacrifice of sin. We cannot offer up prayers on the golden altar until we first deal with our sins on the bronze altar. What secures a place for us before the throne of God, before God's grace, is the atoning blood that was shed for our sins. We really can't make any requests until we have experienced redemption. And this is why God hears our prayers. I think all too often people want Christ to intercede for them apart from him dying on the cross for them. You hear in songs all the time and, and, and one that came to mind was from many years ago. Uh, back when I was in college, I went to see James Taylor in concert. I will confess that. Uh, and I think of one of his songs, and you, you probably roll it over in your mind, Fire and Rain. But listen to the words of this. Won't you look down at, upon me, Jesus? You've got to help me make a stand. You've just got to see me through another day. My body's aching and my time is at hand, and I won't make it any other way. Now, James Taylor, to my knowledge, has never experienced redemption in Christ. But at least in song here, he was pleading with Jesus to intercede for him. But I'm telling you, if you bypass the bronze altar of sacrifice and try to go to the golden altar, without it, it's meaningless. The altar of incense could not be used until the altar of sacrifice had done its work. If the high priest did not go before with an acceptable sacrifice, then there would be no acceptance of his intercession. In fact, I mean, apart from sacrifice, all attempts at intercession would fail. 
and our our postmodern world is really filled with religious attempts to bypass the cross to bypass the cross and ultimately all those attempts fail they're fruitless as Galatians says our only boast can be in the cross this altar you got to understand this altar pictured the gospel I don't think we can ever <coughs> overemphasize the truth of the gospel I mean it's it's in every detail of the tabernacle and made clear in these these two altars uh, M.R. Dahan had this to say about it. He, make, he makes a point here. He says, at the brazen altar, you see the image of Christ dying for us, shedding his blood, reconciled where we are reconciled to God, and it makes us forever secure in him. At the golden altar, he lives in heaven to intercede for those for whom he has already died and who are saved. The brazen altar outside speaks of the death of Christ. The golden altar speaks of the living, resurrected, ascending, ascended Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, the two altars do speak of the death and resurrection and really combined constitute a full gospel message. So seeing this sacrificial understanding, this sacrificial basis for prayer really helps us answer a question. Does God hear the prayers of the ungodly? Or does he only listen to Christians? Well, I mean, to put this another way, if we're going to be up front, does God pay attention to the prayers of Muslims, of Hindus, or others who do not call on him in the name of Jesus Christ? Well, there is a sense in which God hears everyone's prayers. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. So there is nothing that anyone ever says that escapes his notice. Not one cry for help, not one desperate plea, not one invocation of his divine name, whether in blessing or in curse, ever goes unnoticed. God hears everything. Of course he does. But that's really not the question, is it? That's the wrong question. The question is whether or not he receives every prayer with the same fatherly concern. What does it take for God to answer someone's prayers? To, to, to get to the bottom of this question, we need to remember that access to God in prayer depends on having atonement for our sins. Sin separates us from God. We cannot have fellowship with a holy God in prayer unless something is done about the sin in our lives. We need forgiveness through the blood of a sacrifice. And so what is our sacrifice? For, for Israel, they offered up a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. The sacrifice available to us today is the one that Jesus offered when he suffered and died for our sins on the cross. Scripture says this out of Hebrews. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence 
You hear that confidence to enter the holy places. How? By the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh. So when Jesus died on the cross, he was opening up a way for us to come to him in prayer. Have you ever thought about why we end a lot of prayers in Jesus name? This is why. This is not simply a way of signing off at the end of your prayer of sincerely yours. It's it's establishing the basis for our prayer to God at all. We are praying in Jesus name. Jesus has atoned for our sins through his death on the cross. Therefore, we are able to come to God in prayer. It's the blood of his sacrifice. That sprinkle that sprinkles on the sweet altar of our prayers. John Newton wrote about this in one of his songs, uh, one of his hymns. The, the hymn uh, is really an invitation to prayer. And it says this, approach my soul, the mercy seat where Jesus answers prayer. There humbly fall before his feet for none can perish there. But what gives us the right to come to God in prayer? Only the atonement that Jesus made for our sins gives us that right. And so Newton ends by praising Christ for his saving work. A wondrous love to bleed and die, to bear the cross and shame that guilty sinners such as I might plead thy gracious name. Wow. God accepts our prayers when we approach him in the name of Christ, claiming his atoning death as the basis for our access to the throne. When we come to God in Christ, he will hear our prayers. It, it's, it's important, I think, to realize that Jesus is no longer on the cross. He was raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, and now he sits at God's right hand where he presents our prayers to God. One of the most important things that we can learn from this tabernacle in the wilderness is that Jesus is our great high priest. If the Israelites wanted a relationship with God, they had to go through Aaron. But now that God has sent Jesus to be our priest, we deal with God directly and have no need of any other priest. And this is, has special importance because it means our prayers go straight to God. You know, one of the priestly duties of Jesus that he performs to us, that he performs for us, is to present our prayers to God. Hebrews 7.25 says he's always interceding for us, constantly appearing for us in God's presence. Out of, out of Hebrews 9. And here's what he does for us. He, the Bible says that if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. So Jesus serves as our advocate, our defense attorney. 
so that whenever we sin, he speaks on our behalf, securing our forgiveness on the basis of his sacrifice. When we come to God in Christ, all of our prayers, all of our petitions go straight to the throne of grace. This is what the altar of incense was intended to signify. The altar portrays the, the, uh, this is from A.W. Pink, the ministrations of our great high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. Though he is now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, yet he is not inactive. He is constantly engaged before God on behalf of his redeemed, presenting to the Father in the sweet fragrance of his own perfections, both the petitions and the worship of his people. Think about the Lord's Prayer. We all kind of know that. And when we pray the way Jesus taught us to pray, our petitions go straight to God. As soon as we say our Father, we are talking directly to God. We're talking to the God of the universe. When we say, may his name be holy, may his name be hallowed, we're talking to the Holy Trinity who is adored by angels. When we ask for his kingdom to come, we're asking for the God that rules over every authority in heaven on earth. We're talking to that God. When we ask for his will to be done, we're asking the God, we're asking the God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. When we ask for our daily bread, we're asking the God of all providence. When we ask for our debts to be forgiven, we're asking the God who sent his son to pay for our sins. And when we ask him to to deliver us from the evil one, we're asking the God who will soon crush Satan under our feet. And that is a lot to ask for. And it all goes directly from our mouths to God's ear because Jesus has opened the way. When we approach the throne on the basis of blood that Jesus shed on the cross for our sins, God hears our prayers. Most Israelites would have given anything to have their prayers go straight to God. Yet this privilege was given only to the priests. They alone could enter the holy place and make petitions at the sweet altar of prayer. Everyone else had to pray through them. How the Israelite people, the average people, must have envied these priests for for having this, this privilege. How they must have longed to have direct Access to God through prayer. If only they had been been allowed to enter the holy place and offer incense of prayer. Wow. If only they had had the privilege of going to this altar morning and evening. Think about that. As believers in Christ, we have an even greater privilege. We have been granted immediate access to the throne room of Almighty God. We are able to approach Him not just in morning and at night, but approach Him any time, day or night, for any reason. We can establish, we can ask Him to establish His kingdom by advancing the work and witness of His church around the world. We can ask Him to do His will in our lives. 
We can ask him to heal people directly. We don't have to go through another priest. We can ask him to forgive sins. We can ask him to protect us from spiritual attack. What an amazing opportunity. Who would neglect such an opportunity? Right? Who would pass this up? But sadly, I think there's lots of Christians that that do neglect the privilege of prayer every day. Do we daily pray for God's kingdom to come? Do we daily ask for His will to be done? Do we daily look for Him for His provision, protection, and pardon? I think I would argue that neglecting this prayer is the same thing as despising the sweet altar of prayer. Neglecting our opportunity to pray is like shoving the cross of Christ behind us because our privilege to pray was purchased by His blood. We ought to pray all the time. The Israelites used the altar of incense every day. Smoke was always rising from the altar of incense. We should equally be constant in prayer. Go to the altar. We should approach the mercy seat. We should come to God in prayer. Scripture says rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Wait a minute. Give thanks in all circumstances? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. At the very least, we should be praying to God every morning and every evening. His glory and His grace should be the first thought when we rise in the morning and the last petition before we go to sleep at night. Kind of bookends of a day. Do not neglect the sweet altar of prayer. Have you used, have you approached the sweet altar of prayer today? Yes, we have this morning. What about yesterday? What about tomorrow? Pray without ceasing. The spirit of devotion is the, the, the element of your spiritual being. It's the indispensable condition of health and fruitfulness from first to last. If this is neglected, nothing in the work and service of God can be expected to go well with you. I mean, if we, if we neglect the altar of prayer, should we expect things to go well for us in ministry and our lives or really in anything? Think about it. When we pray, our, peti- our petitions rise like that incense and God is pleased to bestow His blessings on us. So here's the question. I've been talking about a, a sweet smell, a fragrant aroma. What are the aromas of your life that are rising up to God? You see, the emphasis on this text that we've looked at is that God desires to see rising up from his people a fragrant aroma 
a pleasing sacrifice of worship and praise with our lips and our lives. So, how do you smell to God this morning? I think we all need to ask ourselves this question, not just right now, but every day. Are the spices of my life a sweet fragrance to God or are they the putrefied odors of walking like the world? So what does your life smell like? What aroma is in God's nose based on your life? Hey, it's a challenge for me. It really is. Let's pray. Lord, Father, help us to to listen to your word, to be doers of your word, and to walk in your ways. Help us to respond to what we've heard. May our prayers, our praise, our worship, be a sweet smell and aroma to you. May the spices of our life be a sweet fragrance to you. Help us to be your people in the world. And we can't do this, Father, apart from your grace. Help us to offer ourselves up to you and be living sacrifices that display your glory in our lives. Amen.